Macrocast, the sound of the economic world, with Gilles Moeck, AXA Group Chief Economist. As expected, last week's publications confirmed GDP's contraction everywhere in Q1. But our concerns over asymmetric reactions across countries are confirmed. Survey and lending data suggest that monetary policy transmission is working well in the EU area. The ECB chose last week to focus again on the banking channel. It will soon be forced to have the conversation on how to shore up the sovereigns in a more lasting manner. At the end of this podcast, we will glance, as every Monday, at the key events to be followed this week. Thank you very much for being here. We're Monday, May the 4th. I am Gilles Moeck, and you are listening to Macrocast. Flexibility means flexible, which relates to flexibility. We have used flexibility when it was necessary. We do use flexibility. We will make full use of the flexibility that is embedded. But let me remind you that, again, we are fully flexible and we have the flexibility to do so. As I said earlier, we will use any and all flexibility that we have. And we are determined to deploy full flexibility, as I just indicated. And it's intended to be used with great flexibility. The European Central Bank continues to fine-tune its emergency response in real time. And as you just heard it, Christine Lagarde has shown great flexibility in her Q&A last Thursday. Still, the announcements by the ECB were concrete for banks, another cut on the interest rate of the targeted longer-term refinancing operations, the TLTRO, and the creation of a new lending facility at negative interest rate, the Pandemic Emergency Long-Term Repurchase Operation, PELTRO, for those who get lost in alphabet soup. While we had only hints, albeit strong ones, at the possibility to increase in size and duration the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, PEPP, we were not expecting anything on the latter, but we were a bit surprised by their renewed focus on the banking channel. In the order of priority, we think that clarifying the quantum and duration of support for sovereigns would trump further improving liquidity conditions for banks. The Bank Lending Survey, released last week and conducted between the 19th of March and the 3rd of April, when almost all of the businesses and all the countries of the area were in lockdown, unsurprisingly reflected a very significant rise in loan demand by businesses, reaching its highest level since 2006 and the highest since the survey was created in 2003 for short-term loans as companies are clearly trying to plug the hopefully temporary hole in their cash flows. Banks are expecting a continuation of this trend as the expected credit demand component has reached a record level. Perhaps more surprisingly, the credit standards component did not reflect any significant tightening on the supply side, and banks even expect a net loosening in coming months. Less than 10% of banks reported a net increase in their rate of rejection of loan application from businesses. At first glance, this would suggest that there is no threat to credit origination, at least for now. The monthly flow of loans to the private sector in March has been by far the highest on record, while there remains a lot of room in the accumulated amount of debt the various euro area governments announced they were ready to guarantee. We estimate that business cash flows fell by about 120 to 150 billion euros during the two weeks of lockdown in March. The flow of new loans to businesses, 115 billion euros, was almost large enough to cover this shortfall, while we know that at the same time, governments were providing significant support 
for instance, through in-work unemployment benefits. Actually, while businesses were leveraging themselves, they were also holding cash, since their bank deposits rose by a whopping 100 billion euros in March. It is likely that firms drew on credit lines early to cover them into Q2 and possibly beyond. Earlier ECB action, and specifically the first increase in the generosity of the Teltro announced on March the 12th, clearly played a significant role in this. The bank lending survey suggests growing appreciation by banks of the support granted by the Teltros. 48% of respondents now expect the facility to contribute to their origination volume of loans to corporations from only 2% in January. This would suggest there was no pressing need to make the Teltro even more generous last week, while only 32% of the banks in the BLS sample participated in the March operation, 51% stated their intention to take part in the next one before they even knew of the ECB's latest concessions. It seems the ECB is choosing a better safe than sorry approach, and of course, the additional drop in the cost of the Teltro will help further, as banks would either be incentivized to lend more, thanks to a rise in their margins, or to reduce their interest rate on their loans, thus supporting businesses through better cash flows. Still, ECB support through ultra-cheap medium-term liquidity provision is a key contributor to sustained supply of credit, but it is not a sufficient condition. Indeed, cheap liquidity, against which collateral still needs to be pledged, does not ensure against credit risk. We could see two non-mutually exclusive explanations behind the restraint on credit standards. First, that banks genuinely believe that we are facing a temporary shock with few medium-term consequences for firms' credit worthiness. Second, that the guarantees offered by the governments are providing enough reassurance to the banking sector. We put more faith in the latter than in the former. A key benefit of a state guarantee on a loan is not just that it provides effective support if and when the borrower defaults, but that it is also immediately in condition to protect the bank's capital ratio. Indeed, banks can substitute to the risk weight applied to the borrower that of the guarantor for the share of the loan that is guaranteed. Fortunately, the European regulator has so far resisted calls for introducing non-zero risk weight on sovereigns. But of course, pledging massive guarantees on corporate debt has triggered a huge transfer of risk from the banks to the sovereigns. The Italian government alone has pledged guarantees of up to 400 billion euros via different channels, nearly a quarter of its GDP. The rise in their contingent liabilities would normally result in higher funding costs, especially since guaranteeing bank loans is only one aspect of their effort to ensure the survival of the business sector and fiscal deficits will grow massively. So, in the end, we need a succession of interconnected backstops. The banks backstop the corporate sector with emergency loans, the state backstops the banks with the guarantees, and the ECB backstops the governments with quantitative easing. However, we argued last week that the ECB's backstop is not infinite. True, the central bank is certainly open to changing the size or duration of PEPP, as well as tweaking the eligibility rule to make it explicit that fallen angels could still be bought by the central bank were they to lose their investment grade status. Judging on both Christine Lagarde's Q&A and Philippe Lane's blog the following day, their finger is on the buzzer for this. Still, some thorny issues cannot be eluded forever. 
How hard is the 33% issuer limit? If the capital key can be suspended for the flows, but not on the stocks, implying a reconvergence at some point, how can the most fragile states be protected for long, unless the ECB intends to continue PPP well beyond December 2020 and reinvest it over a long period of time? All those questions will need answering. One temptation would be to close the loop and help the banks support the sovereigns. In a nutshell, backstopping their own backstop. While the ECB could not directly do beyond a certain threshold, it could nudge banks to provide. This has been a popular explanation since Thursday. But we think the conditions for this are not met. Our preferred interpretation of the choice to focus on the banks first and the sovereigns later is very simply that this is what is the least problematic politically and legally. When your humble servant was sitting the Banque de France exams quite a few geological layers ago, the key to success was mastering a thick book by Jean-Pierre Patard, the bank's then head of monetary statistics, titled Money, Financial Systems and Monetary Policy. His approach was often historical. In a nutshell, his narrative was how France and most other European economies gradually extricated themselves from heavily regulated financial management, due towards funding the government, to a decentralized market-based approach. The similarities between some of the most baroque aspects of the 1950s and the current policy discussions are uncanny, but ultimately misleading. In 1944, Banque de France was granted the possibility to refinance some categories of loans with a maturity of up to five years, usually underwritten by government entities as they were contributing to the country's reconstruction. That sounds quite a lot like refinancing state-guaranteed pandemic emergency loans through a Teltro. Nothing new under the sun. But crucially, French banks at the time were not free to invest their excess liquidity as they saw fit. They were in fact forced to fund the government um, at a fixed interest rate, which was often negative in real term. This was the embodiment of the financial repression which we alluded to a few weeks ago. Let's fast forward to 2020. Could the liquidity created by the Teltros find its way to government debt? Well, some of it already is, undoubtedly. Indeed, banks are increasing their holdings of Govies spontaneously. In March, they also reached their highest level ever since the creation of the series in 2003. Interestingly, they amounted to 127 billion euros, a bit more than the net purchases conducted by the ECB through the public sector purchase program and the PEPP over the last four weeks. Still, two hurdles would impair the creation of a solid bank's sovereign loop funded by central bank liquidity. First, banks have access to a risk-free substitute to government bonds. They can hold excess reserves at the central bank. By pushing the funding rate of banks below the deposit rate through the Teltros, the ECB is supporting banks' profitability and hence possibly their willingness to lend. But this also means that credit institutions will earn a carry trade of 50 basis points by simply parking the proceeds of the Teltros on their account at the central bank. Of course, they would earn an even larger margin by investing their cash into government bonds, at least in the periphery, but they would then take a capital risk which cannot be ignored given the recent market gyrations. Second, producing a significant relief for the government's aggregate funding cost would entail nudging banks towards the long end of the curve. The average maturity of Italy's public debt is 7.3 years, for instance. Despite its extension by one year, the Teltro term is three years. Banks would take a maturity mismatch risk by transforming TLT euro money into longer-term bonds. 
The market reaction after the ECB announcement last week was actually quite telling. While the Italian three-year yield fell by around 10 basis points, the 10-year yield rose. Establishing a proper bank sovereign loop would entail at least massively extending the term of the Teltro, but also probably some quantum of coercion, which is for now not on the radar in Europe. A complete turning back from the market-based monetary policy, which has been the norm since the 1980s, trying to replicate with price signals only the characteristics of old administrative management systems based on financial repression is vain, in our view. After these six weeks of lockdown, you may excuse your humble servant's final bout of nostalgia when quoting some famous words from the man who was prime minister in France at the time when Pata's book was on his reading list. One does not play games with the market, its logic is global. France dealt with the legacy debt of World War II and funded two colonial wars with its coercive monetary policy. Still, ultimately, the price to pay in terms of stubborn inflationary pressure, exchange rate volatility, and underdevelopment of this financial system was high. We may not come back to the 50s. We don't think the ECB is pursuing a bank sovereign loop strategy. The decisions last week were in the continuation of its action in March to deal with liquidity issues. A sign of this is the creation of the Peltro, which is a way to make sure banks which have exhausted their Teltro allowance or whose business model is queued towards lending to non-corporates can still access cheap liquidity. As you know, only loans to corporations are considered when calculated the Teltro allowance. The extra nudge to lending to businesses triggered by the further drop in the Teltro rate is not essential in our view. Governments are currently the guarantor of the insolvency of the all productive system. Ultimately, the ECB will have to have the conversation on how flexible the limits to QE actually are. The decision by the ECB to postpone the discussion on these matters may owe a lot to the decision of the German Supreme Court on the legality of QE on May the 5th. The court cannot impose anything on the ECB itself, but it could instruct the Bundesbank to stop participating to some of its activities. It probably makes sense not to take risks by pushing the envelope on PEPP too far while we wait. This week's focus. We will focus on two things uh, this week uh, in the news and data flow. Uh, first of all, on Wednesday, uh, we're going to have another teleconference of the EU leaders on the famous uh, recovery fund, which still needs to be defined, uh, which could bring about uh, some financial solidarity uh, across the Eurozone. So definitely something worth watching. Uh, a bit later, on Friday, we'll have uh, payroll data in the US. We already know that uh, the unemployment situation is deteriorating very fast there, uh, but we need more granularity to understand exactly uh, what is uh, probably due to uh, simply using the new generosity of uh, the unemployment benefit system and what is genuine destruction of jobs. 
Well, thank you very much for having followed me in this economic time capsule. Next Monday, uh, we will take the direction of China and your presence is desired. In the meantime, uh, try to remain, well, flexible and have a great week. Macrocast, the sound of the economic world. Available every Monday on your podcast app.